Morning, Village Church East. It's good to see you all this morning. Welcome to our uh, time together as we spend time in God's Word. Thank you, worship team, for uh, leading us in, in songs. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I got a couple of things for you before we start. Uh, number one, <clears throat> my voice is not uh, 100% today, so uh, just uh, think of me as an 80s singer today, all right? <clears throat> Uh, I wanted to give you an uh, update on our fellowship uh, journey that we're taking this summer. Uh, we're doing summer together with Fellowship Church. Hopefully you've heard that by now. And uh, we will start that very, very soon. In fact, I wanted to give you a heads up on that uh, coming up on May the 15th. So that's only three weeks away. We're actually going to take a road trip. So we're going to go over there, and we're going to spend Sunday with them at their church on May the 15th. On May the 15th. <clears throat> I'm not in an airplane hangar, no. Uh, so come on over with us on, on May the 15th. We're going to join them, and then May the 22nd, uh, we're going to be there again. I'm going to be bringing the message on May the 22nd. Uh, we're going to just kind of get used to being over there a little bit. Uh, I know some of you have been asking, where is it at? Uh, can we get over there and take a look around? This is our opportunity to do that. So May the 15th, everyone's over there. May the 22nd, everyone's over there again. And then Memorial Day, we're back here. And then uh, we're going to actually, if all goes well, we're going to have our first official Sundays beginning over there the first Sunday in May, I think, or first Sunday in June, thank you. Yeah, so that's very exciting. We're going to be at, uh, at a building on the first Sunday in June. And we're going to do that all the way through the summer and anxious to see what the Lord has for us uh, after that. But that's, that's the plan for now. So everybody got it? May the 15th, we're there. May the 22nd, we're there. Back here for Memorial Day, and then we start the journey officially first Sunday in June. All right, uh, one other thing we have in our midst today, uh, a newly married couple. Uh, some of you know Cody, and you don't know Courtney. So uh, I'm going to invite them to come up. You guys can come up. Uh, I have actually not officially met Courtney yet, uh, because uh, all of our conversations have been over the phone. But uh, come on up here so everybody can see you guys. We want to congratulate you and pray over you. Hi, Courtney. Nice to see you. Cody, congratulations. Newly married. They were married on Friday. Yeah, so we're excited about that. Uh, we wanted to pray with you. I know, Cody, you are, you are heading out. Uh, you guys are moving out to Tacoma, Washington. Tacoma, Washington. Hang on a second. I'm going to get the microphone here <clears throat> so everybody at home can hear you. Is this on? Is on? Super duper. All right. So, Cody, tell us, where are you going? I'm moving to be with my wife and her amazingly smart two-year-old son named Antonio. And we are moving, well, I'm moving, she's already living there. I'm moving to Tacoma, Washington, which is right outside of Seattle. All right, excellent. And we need to pray for you to get a job and get all settled in and everything and pray that the Lord is at the center of your relationship always. Well, I wanted everybody at home to see you and everybody here to see you as well. We have a gift for you, actually uh, going away present. It's a ESV Bible, and uh, all the leadership have written something in the, in the leaflet for you guys as you uh, make your way out. That is awesome. <laughs> well, that's good. We, uh, we want you to go with our blessing, and we want you to know that you'll be in our hearts even though you're on the other side of the continent. <laughs> All right, so can we pray with you? Yes. Here we go. 
Father, we're grateful for, uh, for what you do in joining two people together and bringing, uh, bringing a new family out of it. Uh, I pray for Antonio and for uh, these guys now as not only are they entering into husband and wife, but also into a, a new father role. And uh, I just pray that uh, Courtney and Cody would, would meld together and be one in every way, that they would keep you at the center of their relationship and that you would help their family to be an amazing example of you no matter where they go or who they meet or what, they, what you have for them in the future. Bless them, I pray, and thank you for all that, that uh, these guys have meant to us. May you bless every step that they take as they establish a new life together now. And uh, may you be pleased with their lives and build the kingdom even stronger through them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good to see you both. All right. Congratulations. I'm popping a lot. Is it me? Is that better? All right. All right. Uh, I'm still popping a lot. But it's, uh, it's going to be how it's going to be. All right. Uh, how many of you have played, um, have played two lies and a truth? No, two truths and a lie. Two truths and a lie. Never played that before? I, I got to see hands. How many of you have? Okay. 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 All right. Well, I played it for the first time uh, at a men's retreat uh, that we had, men's, men's outing that we had. And uh, I actually thought, going into it, I thought, ah, I'm not big on games. I don't think this is going to be a lot of fun. But I actually did pretty good on it, and I kind of like the game now. So I thought we would start off this morning, and you're probably thinking to yourself, well, Craig, why are we starting off with a game? Don't worry. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. It all fits together, all right? But um, at this men's gathering that we had, uh, we had some guys around, and it was my turn to go. And so what the deal is with this game is you pick three statements. Two of them are truths, and one of them is a lie. And then everybody who's listening has to vote on which one is the lie. And the goal is, you know, to figure out which one is the lie. The key is to make it so believable or, or maybe make it so unbelievable that you confuse the other people and they guess one of the lies is actually, or one of the truths is actually a lie. All right, do you understand how to play the game? <clears throat> Good, because I'm going to go first. You ready? Here are my two truths and a lie. You get to vote. Here we go. I've toured the space shuttle, shuttle Atlantis. I walked through Checkpoint Charlie into occupied Germany. And I've climbed on top of the Sphinx in Egypt. All right, which one of those is the lie? Two of those are truths, and one of them is a lie. Which one is a lie? What do you think? Number, th number three is a lie? What? Sphinx is, a, number three is a lie? Number one, Atlantis? All right, if you said I toured the space shuttle, shuttle, I keep saying that wrong, shuttle Atlantis, you are correct. That is the lie. Yes, very good. Give yourself a little hand there. That's good. Um, see, the problem with the game is you have to, I actually had another one written down here, but we'll, we'll call it there. Uh, no, I've actually done all of those things, which are, they sound unbelievable. And you have to make the statement so unbelievable that you trick the people who are playing the game. The problem with it is, and I discovered this, I don't have to prove it to you. Like, I could tell you that any one of those is, is the lie, or I could make up anything. I could make my life very, very interesting, and you would never know the difference. I don't have to bring up any witnesses. 
No one has called, nobody ever stood up in this game to me anyways and said, liar, you know. No one could, you could, you could make up quite a reputation with uh, bringing up colorful tales of your life. Now, can you imagine playing this game with Jesus? I know. All right, here's, here's how Jesus might put it, all right? I have been to heaven. I am the God who created the world and everything in it. I have never called anyone a snake, which is the lie. Number three, that's right. Jesus did call the Pharisees a den of vipers, the den of snakes. But with Jesus, you know, it says, it's like, oh, that, those are unbelievable statements that Jesus would make. We are entering into a new series that's going to take us over the next, few, uh, next couple of months together called Jesus Is. And every one of those blank lines that you fill in, Jesus is blank, sounds like an unbelievable lie. It sounds like too unbelievable to believe, too unbelievable to believe. It sounds like somebody that has been to heaven and now is telling us all about heaven is somebody that is unbelievable. And here's the thing. Jesus lived in a real time, at a real place, with real people, and he was making these claims all the time. You have to believe at some point somebody goes, liar! Like that is crazy, unbelievable. Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven sent from the Father. God the Father has sent me to you. I have been to heaven. I mean, these are unbelievable claims. And starting in John chapter 5, Jesus begins making all kinds of incredible claims about himself. And this is where he starts running into challenges with people who are listening to him, but not believing what he says. In fact, the more he talks, the more angry the people get who are listening to him, because they didn't believe him. And so they just get angrier and angrier. So the first thing that Jesus does, <laughs> you're going to love this, is he pulls out five witnesses from history that all these people have known. As he's making claims to be, I am this and I am that and I am from the Father and I am from heaven and all of these things, he pulls out five witnesses that these people are all used to hearing and all they've taught from these five witnesses, they use these five witnesses, but Jesus makes a claim and then he backs it up with the, these witnesses that he talks about. So let's jump in at John 5 and chapter 5 and verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I, speak, uh, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, what is the claim? What is the big claim in that verse? God the Father sent Jesus Christ. That is the big claim. God the Father sent Jesus on a mission to save the world of sin. Jesus is the deliverer from sin into eternal life. He's the final judge, and he's come to help those who can't find a way out of their sin. It's cleared up even in the next verse, verse 34. Not that the testimony I've received is from man, but I say these things to you so that you might be what, church? Jesus is saying, I'm about to deliver a claim to you, some teaching to you, and the reason I'm doing it is because the Father sent me 
so that you can be saved from your sins. Now again, we're so used to hearing this. We got Jesus on the brain, I know, and we know that he's God incarnate and all of these things. We celebrated it every Christmas. But in this day and age, nobody's ever heard of that before. And so Jesus is like standing in front of people telling them these unbelievable things. And they're going, ah, not true. Those things are lies. And yet it's clearly written here. He says, the Father has sent me so that you might be saved. He's on a mission, and the Father has sent him on a mission. If you were standing in front of somebody, and they were to say to you, God the Father has sent me to save you from your sins, that would be a hard thing to swallow, hard thing to believe. So what Jesus does is, in his grace, he pulls out five witnesses, and here they are on the screen. He pulls out John the Baptist, his miracles, the Father, the Word of God, the Bible, and in particular, Moses, who wrote the Pentateuch. He chooses these five witnesses because these witnesses all back up Jesus' claim that he is God. Every one of these. All of these witnesses also are used by the people that he's talking to on a regular basis. They claim to know the Father. They respect John the Baptist. They have seen Jesus' miracles. In fact, remember Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, no one can do the things that you do unless they're sent from God. They have heard the word of God and now taught the word of God. And they use Moses, who wrote the Pentateuch, on a regular basis. Jesus pulls these five witnesses out because these are the five witnesses that talk about him, about Jesus Christ. And all the people that he's talking to now are familiar with these five witnesses. He could claim to be God all day long, but instead he is pulling out these witnesses to back up his claims. Verse 31. If I alone, he says, bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. That's a weird statement, right? What he's saying is, if anyone claims to be something, but there's nobody to back it up, it's hard to prove whether they're telling the truth. Verse 32, but there's another who bears witness about me, and I know, that that te- uh, I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and John has borne witness to the truth. The first witness is John the Baptist. This is a weird way for Jesus to be playing this game. He's telling the truth, telling the truth, telling the truth. And then he pulls out the first witness and he says, you don't believe me, but look at what John did when he was here. You guys remember John, right? You you sent scouts into the wilderness to check out John the Baptist, to see him, to ask him who he was. In fact... In the book of John, it starts out by saying, there was a man whose name was John, who was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist was on a mission, and his only mission was to point the way to the Messiah. And when the Messiah showed up, Jesus said, or John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist's whole mission was to point to Jesus and say that, He is the Messiah, first witness. His whole job, 
His whole life was designated around being this prophet. And he was so well respected by all these people that Jesus was talking to that Jesus pulls out John the Baptist first. And he says, you know John the Baptist. He told you I was a Messiah. I was the one sent from God. Verse 35, he was burning in a shining lamp. You were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Still talking about John the Baptist. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. In other words, he pulls out John the Baptist. He says, you love John. You respected John. John's message was, I am God. I am the one come to save the world from their sins. But there's a greater testimony even than that. Verse 36 goes on to say, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, these very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The second thing is my works. Now, what do you do when you come to a sign? You read the sign, right? And the sign usually tells you something that you presumably need to know. All of you pretty much drive. If you come to a sign that is red and has white letters on it that say STOP, what do you do? Because the sign says stop. Or if the sign says merge, before you get to the red light, get into the correct lane so you don't shove people. Now, maybe you don't. In Illinois, you just push your way in. I know. So you follow signs. Jesus said, my works are signs. What are they signs of? They point to the fact that Jesus is God. Every miracle that he did pointed to the fact that no normal human being can do this. Jesus is different. Jesus is deity. If you go to a, a, a house, and on the house there's a sign that says, rabid dog on property, you probably are not going on to the property, right? Caution, rabid dog. You probably are going to do something else. Signs point to something you need to know. Jesus' miracles always pointed to the fact he is not like the rest of us. He is unique. He is God. It's interesting that uh, even when Jesus was on trial for, well, in front of the high priest on Good Friday, before they crucified him, they looked for witnesses to speak against him. And you know what? They couldn't find one. Think about that. If you went to trial and somebody wanted to do you in, they could even hire false witnesses to come and talk about you. Jesus' character and his works were of such a caliber that they couldn't even get false witnesses that other people would believe. Jesus' signs pointed to the fact he's different from the rest of us. They couldn't even find faults in Jesus because of his works. And then he goes to verse 37. Here's the third witness. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His from you, you've, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Who's the third witness here, church? The father. The father's the th third witness. What he says is, look guys, you have heard the voice of God and you have chosen not to listen to it. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? Do you remember the spirit came down like a dove? Do you remember this story? 
Do you know there was also a voice? In fact, in Jesus' lifetime, there were three different occasions where a voice from heaven spoke out about Jesus Christ. Here's one occasion, this occasion of baptism in Matthew 3 and verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. How would you feel if you were at Jesus' baptism and you heard this voice booming from heaven after Jesus was baptized? That would be a pretty persuasive moment, don't you think? Like, where's the loudspeaker? They didn't have loudspeakers. They didn't have electricity. This is a voice from heaven testifying about who Jesus is. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus looks at these people in front of him and he says, listen, you have heard the voice of the Father saying whom I am, and you didn't even hear that. You chose not to hear it. It's like Sergeant Schultz. I see nothing, I hear nothing. They claim to be sent from the Father. They claim to be working for God, and yet Jesus says to them in a very, a very contentious way, you claim to be from the Father, you claim to be doing his work, but you've never, even, you've never even heard the Father's voice. You don't even know him. You've never seen him. And then he pulls out the fourth witness. Verse uh, 39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The third witness is the Bible. The fourth witness, the Bible, the scriptures. Can you imagine talking to somebody playing two truths and a lie, and one of the statements is, the whole Bible is written about me. Jesus is under the impression that everything in the Bible was written about him. He knew, these guys knew the Bible, they taught the Bible, and Jesus is saying, the very thing that you're using to preach out of talks about me from beginning to end, and you missed it every time. Verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, because Moses wrote of who, church? Oh, yeah, verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of who? Moses wrote about Jesus. That's a wild claim, don't you think? But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The prophet they quoted the most, the Pentateuch that they revered the most, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books, the Ten Commandments written by Moses. They preached, they taught They promoted Moses all over the place, and now they're standing in front of somebody who says, by the way, everything Moses wrote was about me. They have to be getting really offended by this point because Jesus is saying everything that you have done in your life has been wrong. You've missed the one major point all through everything that you have taught in your life. In fact, church, Jesus is saying God God has gone to great lengths to send witnesses to back up my claims. Jesus claims to be the Messiah sent from God. All of these witnesses. And then he says to these guys, and you refuse to believe what God has given to you. 
you claim to know and revere God and yet you've missed me, the topic of conversation every time. And after all of this, how would you feel, church, if you dedicated your life to teaching, preaching, living something? I mean, you sacrificed for it. It is the core of who you are. And you got some person in front of you saying you've done it all wrong. How would you feel? This is why they hated him. This guy was telling them that what they had been used to teach with and what they were teaching was completely different from what they should be doing. They missed it every time. John the Baptist, you respected the guy, and yet he talked about me all the time. Miracles, they were, you're amazed by my miracles, and yet they prove that I'm deity all the time. The Father, you say you worship the Father, and yet the Father has testified that I am his son every time. The Word of God, the Bible, you, t- you teach from this, and yet you miss me every time. And Moses, your favorite prophet of all time, wrote all about me, and you missed me every time. So church, how would you feel if you dedicated yourself to teaching about something and some young guy comes up to you and begins picking everything apart that you've ever done and telling you you're doing it all wrong? Welcome to 2022. We live in a world today that says that Jesus is not the only way. There's many ways. We live in a world today that tries to manipulate and change scripture so that it can fit into a context of postmodernity in which the age in which we live. We live in a we live in a culture where everybody on TV is a theologian and nobody has ever actually read the Bible. Everybody claims to be knowledgeable about Jesus and his life and what he would do, and they even throw it at you to prove their preconceived point. And it's not just television, it's not just rampant in culture, it's also churches, it's also religions. There is a, there is a, a problem in our world today when we make religion about anything other than Jesus. This is his whole point. Jesus says, the Father only talks about me. The Bible talks about nothing but me. Um, My works demonstrate that I am God incarnate. Um, He goes through all of these five witnesses. Moses, your favorite prophet, goes through all these five witnesses, and he says, and yet you miss me every time. Church, why is that? Why can't people see all of these witnesses that we all are familiar with even to this day? And they miss Jesus every time. It'd be like Jesus going into a religion that relies heavily on icons and works. Imagine somebody somebody going into a church that that relies on these things and he he says all of a sudden, listen, your prayers are empty, your icons are useless, your worship isn't going any further than the ceiling, all the missions, tours that you've been on to help people have been nice and have been helped people, but they've only been so that you can feel better about yourself. None of it has been for me because you've missed me every time. It would be offensive, don't you think? 
And, it, and, and yet, if you look in Scripture, you can, you can easily see some things that are being taught even by those who claim to be religious leaders today are simply not true. They're, they're nowhere in Scripture. And so you have to ask yourself, why then are they being taught? Why are we adding stuff like, like infant baptism or, or, I don't know, all of these different things that we add on and, and, and they're... they're they're thrown in there, but they're nowhere in Scripture. And we make the Bible, we make our teaching about something other than Jesus Christ alone. Jesus puts his finger on why it was so difficult for these teachers to consider that they were actually doing things wrong this whole time, and he actually was telling the truth. Verse 44, Jesus says, now listen to this, church. Here's, here's our problem. This is, this is what we run into. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? How can you believe when what's most important to you is a pat on the back from your comrades, from your, from your family members, from those who believe like you do? How can you believe the truth when you're more interested in getting glory for yourself rather than the glory that comes from God? It's very interesting in our, in our spiritual lives that, that Jesus says, we're not in this to make a big deal out of what you do in front of other people. Even when you pray, go into your closet to pray. Because your relationship with God isn't about getting slaps on the back or acknowledgments from people or awards from awards banquets. It kills me. These, these actors all throw their own little different award parties, you know? And they go in there and they're like, you receive an award for the gopher that couldn't fly or whatever the name of this film is that nobody's ever seen before. But everybody in that, in that room dressed to the hilt with their tuxedos and their beautiful gowns that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and they clap for one another and they pat each other on the back and they give each other awards and nobody's ever going to watch the movie that they're getting the awards for. It's amazing to me that we live in a world where that is done not just in those circumstances but in all kinds of circumstances. We are, we are a people that are sometimes more interested in getting pats on the backs from people that are like us rather than a the glory that comes only from God. In fact, the Bible says these folks love the praise of men more than the praise that comes from God. It's a hard issue. They pat themselves on the back. They congratulate themselves in their good sermons. They honor each other with their awards. They promote sayings that the other guys have said. Do you know in Jesus' day how you taught? In Jesus' day, not, not today, but in Jesus' day, when you taught, your teaching would be better if you pulled off other, if you pulled from other rabbis, you know, rather Rabbi Jim would say blank, 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 and, and Rabbi Sam, he agrees with, with Rabbi Jim, and, and Rabbi Jimmy, not Rabbi Jim, different Jim, Jimmy, he agrees with Rabbi Jim, and you pull out all of these, nobody ever taught anything, they quoted each other. So when Jesus taught, he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and they're going, whoa, 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 we've never heard anyone teach like this. Do you know why Jesus did that? Because he is the word of God. He doesn't need a rabbi to back him up. He was the truth of God. They would rather have the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. 
People don't want to believe in God Church today because they don't want to share the glory that they want for themselves. They, they kind of, we all do. It's, it's in our nature. We want to feel important. We want to know we're making a difference. We want to be the one that comes up with a good saying. We want to be the one that's the most intelligent, the smartest, the strongest, the richest. We want to be that person. And then we will walk into a room. The room falls into a reverent hush because Craig Jarvis has walked into the room. Yeah, it never happens that way. Jesus' biggest problem with with these folks, and, and and he lays it out for them. He says, listen, all of these witnesses talk about me. You use all these witnesses all the time. You've seen them, you've heard them, you've been around them, and you cannot hear and you cannot accept it because you're more interested in receiving glory for yourselves than giving glory to me. And that's what we do. I can work hard enough to impress God. Someday I'll stand before God and he will say, Craig, I couldn't wait for you to show up in front of me today. I was hoping that you would be first on the list, but I had to go through all these morons before I got to you. And now, Craig, you're standing in front of me. I am so glad to see you. You have been an amazing individual. Let's talk about all of the wonderful things, Craig, that you have done. Hush, please. Let's throw it up on the screen. Craig did this and Craig did that and Craig. Do we actually think that God is impressed with us? I don't. And that's the point. We think to ourselves, I can sacrifice enough so that God will be impressed with me. I can serve each other other people enough so that God will be uh, amazed by me. I can... I need a list to complete so I can achieve God's respect. And the fact of the matter is, church, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's only glory going in one direction, and it's not from him to me. It's from me to him. All the glory to him. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one does good, not even one. The Bible is clear. We all are in the same leaky, sinking boat together. And we needed help to get us out. And there's one perfect person who can do that, and his name is Jesus Christ. But the people in Jesus' day would not see him in that way, and the people in our day will refuse to see him in that way as well. So they make up stories, myths, other ways to impress God without going to Jesus Christ. Do you know why people won't come to Jesus? Because they know Jesus will demand from them what they want for themselves. Jesus demands from them what they want for themselves. Glory. Worship. John 12, 42 says this. Listen to this. This is one of the saddest verses. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in Jesus. Get that? Many of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Do you know what that means? If you're out of the synagogue, you're out of life. That is a black mark on your name. It's going to be hard for you to find a job when they find out you don't go to the synagogue. You're not in the in crowd anymore. 
So they would not be put out of the synagogue. They did not confess belief in Jesus. Verse 43, for they loved, church, would you say this with me? They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You ever been in a situation where you kind of hide the fact that you're a Christian because you don't want everybody to think less of you? Ding, 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 ding. You ever been in a situation where you're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's going to be a mar on your reputation? You ever been in a situation where you don't really want to talk about Jesus because you know it's going to be a problem? People with power in Jesus' day, people with authority were beginning to believe in Jesus, but they wouldn't say that they did because they didn't want to lose their place of prestige. Do you know how many churches have given up their fundamental beliefs because the, the society, culture, demands something different from them? Same thing. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Church, if you want a bottom line as to what you should believe, <clears throat> it's been around for quite a while. It's called the Bible. Open it up and read any part you want because it's all in there. And any part that you're willing to tweak, sacrifice, chip away at is probably a part that you're willing to do because you don't want to take the beef from somebody for standing for what is right. I get it. It's normal. It's called being human. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't laud that kind of behavior. They wouldn't confess their belief in Jesus Christ to others because... They would lose power, they would lose glory, they would pay a price as soon as they did. They would rather be right with their influencers than right with God. Church, how do you know what is true about Jesus Christ? I gotta tell you, he really made it easy. <laughs> he really did. We've got the Bible, we've still got it today. Moses, you can read all Moses' stuff, you can read all of the Bible stuff. Yeah, you can read about John the Baptist. You can see how the Father spoke to Jesus at these three different occasions. You can see Jesus' good works that they couldn't, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't deny. Jesus didn't come out of nowhere. It was perfectly planned. God has placed breadcrumbs throughout history to point us to Jesus Christ. It's just that we follow the breadcrumbs, and before we know it, we, we're, we're at the feet of Jesus, and we're going, nah, I don't want to go any further. I'd rather my religion be about me and not about him. Jesus never told two lies and a truth. He only told the truth. <laughs> two truths and a lie. Sorry, I always get that wrong. In fact, in Acts 4.12 says this, and here's the truth. There is salvation in no one else. Church, that's the truth. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So what? Number one, Jesus has the keys to eternal life regardless of what others may claim. Only Jesus has the way out. All the breadcrumbs, you follow them along, they all end up to Jesus. Jesus taught the entire Bible was written about him. Jesus left us the empty tomb. I think God has really made faith easy, to be honest with you. I mean, to think, to you, to think about this. Jesus rose from the dead... He, he could have walked through walls because the, the, the disciples were in the upper room and the door was locked from the inside and Jesus shows up in the midst of them. Did you know that? 
That happened after Jesus rose from the dead. He could have went through the stone and just left the stone there and the guards there and nobody would ever know the difference. But God rolled the stone away, not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could look in. He left us an empty tomb. That is fact. We know that's a fact because they tried to cover it up. And nobody could produce a body to shut these disciples up. It is a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. His tomb is empty. God leaves it there, rolls a stone away, and says, look in, anybody. You want to look? There's nothing here. And Jesus stuck, 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 stuck around. Jesus stuck around for 50 days afterwards. He ate and he drank and he visited people. At one time, he was seen by 500 people at one time. Why did Jesus stick around? Why did he stick around for 50 days afterwards? It's not because he was bored. It's so that we could have evidence that he is actually living and breathing and he is risen from the dead. The whole Bible is written about Jesus according to Jesus. Moses wrote about Jesus. The scriptures speak about Jesus. His miracles, all of these things. You really don't need a lot of faith at all. The problem is you've got to sacrifice the glory you want for yourself. That's the hard thing. No one comes to Jesus standing up. Everybody comes to the cross on their knees. I did a Q&A last week, and we talked about how much proof there was for believing that Jesus is God. I think you actually need more proof to believe the lies that are sold today than you do to believe that Jesus is God. And I want to tell you this. Here's a big warning. Almost without exception... If there is salvation claimed to be in other things other than Jesus Christ, there are always other agendas at play. Somebody has an agenda. Number two, the true path to lead to God is not as hard to find as you might think. I find it interesting that it's not hard to find God. In fact, the question is, why does God... Why, why, it's not that God makes it hard to find him. The question is, why does he make it so easy? Do you know how many people in the world today have heard of Jesus Christ? I mean, it's almost like the easiest thing. In fact, when you open your eyes and you look at creation, creation is one of the biggest breadcrumbs. It's like a loaf in the breadcrumb aisle that leads to Jesus. We look at creation, and you have to say to yourself, where did this come from? The thing that amazes me is the water cycle. Do you know the water cycle? Like every drop of water is exactly the same as it always has, but there's no new drops of water being created. It's like water that has always been here. It just keeps recycling and recycling. I think that's amazing. But that's just one part of creation. How about your eyeball? Explain that. Like that's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And, we all, and, and what we do is, why aren't your eyes working? Like they should be working. Like it's, our, it's like the exception to the rule that your eyes don't work. Isn't that crazy? We naturally think if we hurt ourselves, we're going to get healed. That's normal. You ever think about that? Shouldn't the natural thing be like, oh, you've, you've got a cut. You're probably going to die. Like that should be the natural thing. Creation works like it works because it is one of the biggest breadcrumbs that leads us to the fact that there is a God. In fact, in Romans 1.19, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been what, church? 
in the things that have been made so that men and women are without excuse. If you look at creation and you say, well, I can easily explain that. This nothing and this nothing came together and made something. Then I got to tell you, that is a flawed logic. It takes more faith to believe that nothing and nothing collided to make a big bang into something that works every time like your eyeball than it is to believe that God actually created this unmoved mover, created something from the beginning of time. But you see, we, we look at creation and we don't want there to be a God, so we make up stories. Unbelievable stories, but stories that become popular with time. Jesus said Moses wrote about him, the Father validated him, his works testified to his deity. John the Baptist talked about him, and the Bible is available to you whenever you want to read it. We have a script that we want him to fill out, but the fact of the matter is he's already filled it out. He's given us all these witnesses. The question is, will you believe it? There's a parable that Jesus tells in the New Testament about a rich man and a poor man. Do you know this parable? Lazarus, the poor man, at the rich man's gate. And the rich man would walk by him every day and kind of be mad that this poor guy was always at his gate. And one day the poor man died and he went to Abraham's bosom. We'll call that heaven. And the rich man died and he went to the other place. We'll call that hell. Jesus tells a parable and he says, this is kind of like what happened. Now it's, it doesn't actually happen, but it's a tale that Jesus tells to make a point. The rich man went to, went to Hades, and he looks across, and he sees Lazarus, and he says, I would like to be over there, and, and, and Abraham says, it's, it's too late, you can't, you can't come across. The, the chasm between us is too great. You can't, you can't make the journey. You can't, make the, you can't do it. So you know what the rich man does? He says, fine, if I can't make it, I'm tormented down here. But if I can't make it, would you please send someone to tell my family about Jesus so that they don't come to this place? That's something, isn't it? You know what the answer is? Abraham says to him, no one can convince them. They have Abraham, they have the prophets, and if somebody even rose from the dead and told them the truth, they still wouldn't believe it. Church, somebody did rise from the dead, and he always told the truth. And many people still don't believe it. So we need to pray. The journey to God is not nearly as hard as we think. It just is a journey that you have to make by sacrificing the glory you want for yourself and offering that glory to God forever. This is history, his story, history. It's not our story. It's his play. We're invited to participate. It's not two truths and a lie. It's one truth and no lies. And the truth is, can you believe in Jesus Christ? So, Father, I'm grateful for John chapter 5. I'm grateful for all of the breadcrumbs that you have put throughout history 
to lead us to the truth. Thank you that it's not far from any of us. Thank you that, Jesus, you came to us, God incarnate, lived a perfect life. You died a sinless death. You rose from the grave and you showed everybody evidence of that victory. And you say that if anyone calls on your name, they can be saved. Lord, I pray that you would save this generation, that you would create a revival in our time, help many people come to know you as their Savior. Whatever it takes, Father, so that we, we may learn to give up the glory ultimately that we want for ourselves so that our lives can be about giving glory to you. Thank you for being a part of this church and for this fundamental truth about your word that we proclaim every single Sunday. For your sacrifice for our sins because of your love for us. We're grateful for that, and as we celebrate communion, may it be new and refresh, a fresh thing for us one more time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.